I am excited about this. A couple weeks ago, there was so much going on and I kept, I kept bouncing around and trying to say some things and not say other things. And I told you there's so much more. Not going to do that today. You'll be home by two. I promise. It's Palm Sunday. I have this conviction in my heart about Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and people deciding to come or people deciding not to come and all those things. And I'm, I think I'm going to talk to Pete later this week and we might make a quick video about it. But, but, but it is an important time in our faith. It is the entry of our Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. It is Him making His last stand. He is approaching the mountain. He is saying, this is the apex of all that I have been here for. I am fulfilling all of the things that God set in motion for us. I am the, the, I am the apex of what is going on. And, and he's, he's, he's coming, riding into town. And, and, and we're going to look at what he did first. That's what we're going to do. This whole passage is about what he did. Him coming in, where he went, what he did after that, and where he went back to. The first 12 to 24 hours that Jesus spent on his way into Jerusalem knowing that he was going to set everything in motion that was going to lead us to the Lord's Supper, that was going to lead us to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that is going to lead us to the cross, which is going to bring us to the resurrection, a living God that we love and serve. But he humbly arrives. We're going to use Mark chapter 11 because we've had a lot of Luke. Amen. Cassandra, you're fired. I'm ripping up your covenant. As they approached Jerusalem, now I'm, I'm going to read because we need that. Okay? I'm, gonna, I'm trusting the scripture this morning. You don't need me to, to, to illuminate it. I'm trusting it. We're going to come back and look over it, but we're going to read it all the way through and just let it do what it does on your fertile hearts. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you were doing this, say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went, they found a colt outside in the street tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there said, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their, they threw their cloaks over and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom, thy kingdom come of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. Make note. Jesus went to the temple and had a look around. But since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. And the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, it was blooming. He went to find out if it had fruit. But when he reached it, it had nothing because it was not the season for figs. It was not 
the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise, would not allow anyone to carry, and the original version says anything. It would not allow them to carry through the temple courts. That's important later. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house shall be a house of prayer? Should my house not be a place of genuine worship? Should, I, should my house not be a place where people seek my face? Should my house not be a pe place people are free to cry out my name, to call upon me? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed but when evening came jesus and his disciples went out of the city in the morning as they went along they saw the fig tree withered from the roots peter remembered and he said rabbi look the fig tree you cursed has withered have faith in God. Rabbi, look! The tree you cursed is dead. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you. We all right? Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they will say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. All right. There is so much here. So much here. First, Jesus rides in on a donkey, a foal, a colt, and, well, you know, all right? You know, right? And this is spectacularly humble and humbly spectacular, all right? This was set into motion over 500 years before. The prophet Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, says that this is going to happen. He says that this is going to occur, all right? And then he, the psalmist says, and when it happens, they will say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the prophets foretold, the psalmist sang, all right? And then, you ready for this? It was foretold that a king would decree that the temple would be destroyed and then 
rebuild, right, when the decree is sent out that he would rebuild, there would be 490 years from that moment that it would occur, right? All right? It also says that there would be 483 years before the entrance of the king that would restore that temple. There was a gentleman in England who decided what he would do is figure out how this took place. How this took place. Perfect. Get this all back. Listen to this. In the book of Daniel, it predicts all of these things, right? There would be 480 years to run its course, or 490 years to run its course, 483 years for arrival. He started with, and, and, and here's what happened. It said it would start when that. If you remember in Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes to the king and he's a cupbearer, but he says, I'd like to do this. And Nehemiah writes an edict. He writes an edict that says, go and rebuild the temple. That edict set into motion the 490 and 483 years. A, a, a gentleman in England went back historically and pinpointed the day, all right, that that would take place. And that day by our calendar would have been March 28th, 445 BC. If you count exactly 483 years from that date, you get April 6, 32 AD, Palm Sunday, set in motion, set in motion half a century prior. Now there's some people who say, well, Jesus prepped this. He came into Jerusalem early. He let the owners of the cult know they'd need it, all right, because we have record that he was there, and that's why he knew exactly what to say. They created code words, the Lord needs it, and they would let it go. Okay, maybe so. But was it going to be at the time of, of the Passover, at the time of the feast? Were people from Galilee and people from Bethlehem and people from all over to be gathered there? And would they know that they were supposed to wave palm branches and lay these things down? And was it going to be on this very day, on a Sunday? Jesus, whether he knew or not, fulfilled a half-century-old prophecy, and then the people around him fulfilled the rest of the prophecies by waving the palm branches, by waving the victory symbol, by saying, blessed is he who coming in the name of the Lord. Kings rode in to these type of things, and they were saying, the king is coming, the king is coming, praise God. He's coming for me, but they missed it. They thought he was going to overthrow Rome. They thought Caesar king. They thought political king. They thought democracy cometh. We're going to see him take over the throne. And they missed the message. And in the same way that day, the church bells are ringing. Services are going on. And it is the visitor's 
to Jerusalem that are actually experiencing Jesus' arrival while the rabbis, the teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the church people are in their religious worship experiences going, hey, we love Jesus, we're awaiting him, and he's out front rolling down the street on a donkey. Don't they feel like? You caught on. In Luke 19, it says that the people knew that the prophecies foretold. And then it says, and because you knew but weren't there, because you knew but didn't act, because you knew yet you relied on yourself instead of relying on my word, you missed it. And because of that, Jerusalem will be laid waste, sieged, destroyed. And 40 years after that day, General Titus came in and leveled the city. It is as God says it is. It was as God said it was. And it will always be as God says it is. But there are those who believe, who buy in, who lay wait, who rest in the arms of the Lord. And it is those who wait upon the Lord that shall be renewed in their strength. It is those who will mount up with wings like eagles, who will walk and never be weary, uh, run and never grow faint. It is the people who wait on the Lord, not who wait on a worship, not who wait on a preacher, not who wait on a service, not who wait on a financial gain, not who wait on a retreat or a rally or an event. Those who wait upon the Lord and we can be worshiping and we can be teaching and we can be celebrating and we can be wearing our shirts and we can be scheduling and we can miss him and this is why this is why our churches are not filled with hungry people this is why our churches are not filled with broken souls because we're so busy making an effort to please god that we have forgotten to listen to god to wait for God, to be in the presence of God. And so the Galileans worshiped, but the city of God, Jerusalem, played. The people from Bethlehem waved and bowed before him and sang unto him, even though they did not quite get it. And the church folk missed him. We always tell the story of, of the fig tree with a little bit of trepidation. It's my big word for the day. A little bit of trepidation because that's the only miracle in all of the Bible. It's the only miracle in all of the Bible where Jesus pronounces judgment. Where he says, hey, this is going to end badly. It's the only miracle where, where he does that. So that, that's hard for us to swallow. And because it's hard for us to follow, swallow, we find reasons for it to be hard to swallow. But I think you need to see how this plays out because I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know until this past couple of weeks how this thing flows together. 
It's intentional. It is directed. And I want you to watch it play out. After Jesus rides into town on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy, after he fulfills another prophecy with the people all gathering around saying, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Be here, O king. They know who he is, but they and they know why he's there, but they don't understand the depth of why he's there, right? He then, one small verse, entered the temple. So Jesus' first act is to ride into town. We have that, right? He gets into town, and the first thing he does is he goes to the temple. He looks around, and he leaves. Did anybody ever call that out? Most of the time, we get the stories of him in the temple, or we get the stories of the money changers, but that doesn't happen like that. He goes in. He assesses. Think about that. He, he checks it out. He takes inventory. And then he leaves. Got it? So we get temple, part fig, temple, part fig. There's a reason. He assesses the temple, and then he goes out, and this happens. There was a fig tree. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he found it had no fruit, he cursed it. We don't like that because that means if we don't produce fruit, we get cast out. So we find a reason for that to be untrue. Craig, it was not the season for figs. Yes, Jesus curses, but no, it was the wrong time. So we can't have too many expectations of God on us because if it's not the right time for God to judge us or the time we think God should judge us, then God's not really going to judge us. I was listening to an old pastor and he said, I have always been caught up in why this was the only judgmental miracle, why this was the cursing miracle, why this bothers so many believers. And I did not understand it. So here's what he said. He said, so I needed to do some research. So he got called to California where the climate is right. And you know what he did? Bought a fig tree. He bought and he planted a fig tree. And he waited, and he waited, and he watched, and he waited. And the first season that the tree was ready to bloom, here's what happened. Come on, Jesus. Oh, here's what happened. The flowers, the leaves began to sprout. And then he, as he noticed that happening, he said, I had to keep myself from going out there all the time. He said, I waited and I watched. He said, and then when the leaves were out enough to go and to look for, he said, I walked out there and I saw that the leaves were beautiful, but I also saw buds, little round figs. And he said, I thought that's odd. It's not the season for figs, but, but okay. He said, and as I watched, the leaves grew and the figs grew and the leaves grew and the figs grew. And he said, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to try one to see what was going on. The leaves grew and the figs grew. And they, they went from yellow, all right, to the, to, the, to the green color. And as soon as they turned the green color that is supposed to start to designate ripeness, he said, I grabbed one and I pulled it off. And he said, I broke it open and it was kind of dry. I was expecting fruity and it was kind of bland. And I was expecting fresh and it was 
kind of stringy and withered and nasty. So I grabbed another one and I opened it up, withered and nasty. And I grabbed another one just to make sure because these looked like real figs, but they were withered and they were nasty. Come to find out, the tree has to produce these pre-figs. And the pre-figs fall away and they make way for pure figs. And when the real figs show up, they're juicy, they're moist, they're delicious, they're bigger, they're bolder, they're beautiful. Jesus assesses his church house, goes to a tree, regardless of the season, and doesn't see the fruit he's looking for, curses the tree, whether in season or not, we don't get the result, goes back, and this happens. When he got back to Jerusalem, he again entered the courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling overturning the tables and the benches of those selling doves and forbidding anyone to carry things in the temple. Listen to me. I, I got in trouble before. I, so be it. All right. Jesus wasn't angry. Ticked doesn't even do it. You know what's coming? He was off. Angry to the point of enragement. John teaches us, I had no idea until I was in Johannine literature, learned two things that day. Johannine means John. Why can't you just say John? Why does it have to be Johannine? Second thing, Jesus was carrying a, 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 a flaw, a cat of nine tails. Jesus had a whip in his hand, and he was going around swinging this thing, flipping tables over, doves everywhere, money everywhere, people jumping, avoiding, probably cursing, whatever curse words they used back then. Oh, Bethlehem! You know, holy Judah. I don't know. I don't know. They couldn't use ass. That wasn't a bad word. All right. Y'all were waiting for it earlier. Uh, listen, Jesus was mortified. And then after it's like it's building up it's building up and it's building up and he finally says stop moving and you need to know you need to know what that meant 
in all of the Torah, with all of the Jewish rules and the Jewish regulations, there was a set account of how sacrifice, how worship, how Sabbath would be carried out to both cleanse the people of their sins, but also keep the temple pure and holy and keep the rabbis pure and holy. So as people came in, all right, they would carry their their sacri their sacrifices. If they did not have sacrifices, they would carry in their money. They would then purchase sacrifices at these tables. They would then offer these animals to the rabbis who would carry them into the, the, the rear of the building, into the area where the people could not go. They would slaughter them and the blood had to be kept and carried out. And then the carcass had to be carried out. And this is how they followed through with Jesus's design for their worship. You know what Jesus did? He shut down church. He shut down church. He said, with those words, stop moving. Don't carry anything. He shut down their worship. I ask you to bring me your best. You bring me what's left. I ask you to bring me a, a sacrifice. You bring money because it's more convenient than going out and finding something of your own, growing something of your own. And then, because some people don't have sacrifices and, and some people just have money, you're going to make money on those people who make money because you can only purchase a dove in the temple courts with the temple monetary system. So this guy takes your money from Bethlehem, your money from Judah, your money from wherever, Capernaum, and turns it into easy cash pawn. And I will give you have this much money, I will give you this much back, and I will pocket this much. So now you can buy a leftover birdie from this guy to carry over here to hand to the priest, who will then uprightly say, I am the priest doing what Jesus says. I cut off the head of the birdie. And outside, Jesus is appeared just like he promised to appear. And the religion goes on inside. And the righteousness is happening outside. And Jesus says, your worship is invalid. Your sacrifices are fake. Your church is worthless and it will it will be destroyed and then he goes back outside and finds what a fig tree that he had what called invalid what you have may look like a fig. It may appear to be a fig. It may even grow where figs are supposed to grow. But you're a pre-fig. And for this, 
you are going to be no more. And Peter sees the tree, and the tree is no more. And Jesus says, have faith in God. Best trust what I say. Best not put your money in the priest. Best not put your money in the birds. Best not put your money in the temple because it's going to fall too. 40 years later, gone. Looks like a fig. Feels like a fig grew where a fig was growing. Not a fig. Looks like a Christian. Grows where a Christian grows or goes where a Christian goes. But not a Christian. No real fruit. We want church. When Jesus rolls up in here every week, even notice. Can you sing, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place? Or was surely a set of good songs in this place? Was surely a halfway decent sermon with some good information in this place? Was surely a bald-headed communicator in this place? Was surely some families that I like to see once a week in this place? What is in this place? And can you call yourself a fig? You open for Jesus pulling a piece and taking a bite? Let's pray. God, I'm not afraid, but I have fear. God, I could look at you and say I tried. But I don't know if I'd, I could look at you and say I, di I died. God, you didn't come to bring destruction. You came to bring life. And even though you found people who would worship you for the wrong reasons and people who did all the wrong things trying to worship you, you still kept on the road you still went to the cross so that my stupidity and my lunacy my selfishness and my pride might not separate me from you forever but God we can't we can't do this anymore the world the world can't afford for us to do this anymore you are looking for figs. You are looking for disciples. You are looking for people who aren't bankers or tellers or teachers or barbers or preachers 
who are sometimes believers. You're looking for disciples. And then those disciples are all about you, all about God, and just happen to be placed in medical fields and business fields and tire fields and secretarial fields and factory fields so that your word might go. God make us Christians who are sometimes teachers, not doctors who are sometimes believers. Take us, break us, make us yours. Bring fruit in a manner we've never imagined here. And make it start with someone in this room who doesn't want to know about you, but hungers to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.